And David said ultimately that the apex of it was when we had the James Brown song, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And that was really when they kicked it over the edge and it became really extraordinary. And if you have that one lurking about, that would be pretty amazing too. But do you, do you have any of the David Porter and Isaac Hayes songs like Hold On, I'm Coming and Soul Man? Because David said that Soul Man meant a number of different levels of things like all their songs did. He said it meant whole man to Isaac and to him. But with the lyrics coming to you on a dirt road, those were that was a representation of extremely poor black people. Good loving, I've got a truckload. That meant, but I still have love for you and feel good for you. So there were multiple meanings in the lyrics to all of these songs that David and Isaac wrote and and expressed and, and let out into the world at that time. Well, I, I do have Sam and Dave's version of that. Yeah, go also, for it. I just want to remind everybody you're listening to KCSB FM in Santa Barbara. This is the Road Tune Sessions. DJ Philo Beto here, here with Archie McLaren, having a wonderful conversation.
came back I was playing it and there's dead air there on this uh, James Brown say it loud it's off of a French compilation which I won't try and uh, uh, repeat but it has Percy Sledge and Curtis Mayfield on it uh, so it looks like it's probably in the late 70s here uh, let's bring Archie back up here so we had played Soul Man James Brown say it loud on Tales of that I'm Black and I'm Proud made references also to Isaac Hayes and David Porter. What do you think, Archie? Well, around that time, uh, there was beginning to be a visceral connection to what was taking place, uh, the issues the black community was having, because in 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I'll never forget that time. I'd been out of time with one of my teachers who who was uh, uh, also a teacher at Memphis University School with me, and we came back into town. There wasn't a car uh, on the road. The entire town, and you're talking about a town of several hundred thousand people, was basically shut down in a sense. Powerful uh, feeling. And it was also beyond powerful when... I first went to Central High School where they were holding a We Love Martin Luther King kind of day, a day or two after that. And there were probably no more than 30 Caucasians in that entire stadium. So that pretty much expressed to me what the situation was beyond what I even knew at the time. Uh, and it was before I you know, ended up going down to Mississippi and, and being in the Title I school. That came almost just after that. But the most incredible aspect of it was that when the march took place to remember and embrace Dr. King as a stunningly special fellow, there were roughly 100,000 people, and it was a silent march. And being in it and hearing the feet hit the pavement in downtown Memphis was a profound experience that I will never, ever forget as long as I live. Around that time is when the music from Stax and from people who are singing songs like I'm Black and I'm Proud, as well they should have, began to really hit the airwaves. And interestingly, and I'm not sure how this happened exactly, but Martin Scorsese has an amazing film on the subject called Red, White, and Blues about the British rockers picking up on the blues and basically bringing it back to the United States and presenting it as Caucasian rocker bands to U.S. audiences. That really wasn't done by anybody in the USA. It was done by the Brits. Absolutely fascinating stuff. And I remember one of the things that just completely blew me away, and you and I had actually researched this at one point, the song called Spider and the Fly. If we had to close our ears and listen to this, we could trace that back, you and I, to the 30s or 40s from the African-American culture. Come to find out, it was written in the 70s by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, how the European market, in a way, has embraced uh, American jazz and blues uh, over time and probably kept some of those artists alive. <laughs> At certain points, or they moved moved over there, or at least come back. Yeah, agreed. No question about it. That was particularly extraordinary for the people who were into jazz. Now, a lot of people knew about that, but knowing about the British rockers picking up on the American blues and bringing it back here was a whole other array of things that were unique and special. I have this one from Out of Our Heads, 1965. 
this particular track from the Stones, uh, Jagger and, and Richards. Yeah, awesome. I was just well into 65. the 60s. Yeah. In the Extraordinary 60s, yeah. that they picked it up. And they wrote a song like this back then. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you've covered a lot of ground, and I kind of wanted to, to come back to maybe, you know, the march in Mississippi. I saw maybe Selma the movie recently and kind of um, rekindled our, maybe mm -hmm. our somewhat distant connection to that event, or at least uh, when I was a child. I came across a, a 1950s recording of B.B. King called Three O'Clock Blues, and apparently it was his first first recording on a, on a radio station just a young B.B. B.B. King, did he get his start in the Beale Street uh, blues area as well? Well, I've seen uh, posters uh, of his concerts. In fact, I have one that was from Louisiana in the mid-50s. And so it's conceivable that it could have been somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, my recollection is, and I don't know this for certain, is that he is from Mississippi, but uh, I'm not certain as to what his meanderings were before he ended up in Memphis. Right. I'm not sure. Uh, Riley, or is it Briley, Blues Boy King, as he was first called. I'm going to play Three O'Clock Blues, and then we're going to get into one of the other kings, and then we'll get back into conversation. And you're listening to the Road Tune Sessions.
Hey, that was uh, Freddie King, You Don't Have to Go. It was an interesting way to bring me back into 1956 or 7. I really appreciate that. Remember, I mentioned to you the first song I ever heard that was a blues song, Face to Face, was Jimmy Reed's original of that particular song. This one is a heck of a lot more complex, no question about it, and and really quite wonderful. Loved it. Uh, It reminded me, too... Uh, you were talking about a march a little bit ago before we went off on another subject. When I was in law school, one year I was a clerk uh, with the FBI, and J. Edgar Hoover was a staggering racist. He was just beyond comprehension in his lack of embracement. And, of course, he did everything he could to make Martin Luther King look unacceptable. Uh, And so... I remember going in uh, to the office uh, one day, and I had heard that Hoover had told Bobby Kennedy that he was not going to send FBI agents to a march in Mississippi uh, because uh, he felt that it wasn't the FBI's responsibility to protect African Americans. And Bobby Kennedy told him, and I got this from the Uh, assistant special agent in charge at the office sometime later, Bobby Kennedy told him that if he didn't do it, that he would no longer be the director of the FBI, which would be uh, a fairly substantial blow to his ego, no question of that. And so um, Hoover did send the agents from Birmingham and Jackson, Mississippi, and and Memphis and some other areas around there uh, to protect the African-Americans in this particular march. And I remember going into the office, and there was not a single agent there. Incredibly unusual, not one. And when they came back after doing what they had accomplished, one of them said, well, the word was out down there that when a Klan's person, a Klansman, looked to the right or to the left, he was looking at an FBI agent. And so Bobby Kennedy really got on the subject and really made it happen. He was a a fabulously, multiculturally embracing guy, just fabulous. And so uh, about a year and a half or two years ago, Rose, actually not Rose, uh, Bobby Kennedy's wife, Ethel, called me, and she said, would you get the Central Coast Wine Classic 
to donate a package to the Robert F. Kennedy Foundation auction. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I was a major fan of your husband. He was just a phenomenal person. And then I told her the story about what he had done with respect to that march in Mississippi. And he, she said, well, he never even told me that. And so she was really embraced by it and thrilled by the fact that he had done something like that. Around that time, they you know, call it multicultural because African-American doesn't really comprise everything that some of the people who are termed African-American really are. A fellow named Russell Sugarman, similar to Barack and his multicultural uh, uh, personage, who was a graduate of Harvard Law School. And Russell came to Memphis, and he founded the first interracial law firm in the South, an absolutely amazing feat that turned out extremely well, and there were a lot of interesting people involved in it. Uh, two Jewish attorneys, a number of other uh, Caucasians, uh, a couple of African Americans, but Russell was the person who was really behind it. He would have been uh, probably the mayor of Memphis, except that he married a German girl, a Caucasian girl, and so he was held in low esteem by the Caucasian community, and they had a heck of a lot more votes than the black community did, so there you are. Nonetheless, uh, Russell and I became friends, and uh, there are a lot of stories about it that I don't want to take the time of your listeners to tell, but I think the interesting part was one night Russell called me, and he said, you've got to come down to the bowling alley, and I said, well, why do I need to go down there? And he said, I've got some people here I want to introduce you to. And whenever Russell suggested that I do something, knowing the kind of individual he was, he was in school at Morehouse with Martin Luther King. He he was an amazing guy. He'd done all kinds of interesting things. He was very gracious, very gentle, very kind. I said, sure, I'll come on down. And this particular bowling alley was in a blue-collar neighborhood at one point. And... Uh, Blue-collar people bowl, no question of that. The neighborhood became gentrified, and as African-Americans began to move into the neighborhood, the Caucasians moved out, and ultimately it became an African-American neighborhood, and they don't bowl, or they didn't at the time. It was not on the top of their list. You know, If you couldn't bounce the ball, they weren't into it. And so that particular bowling alley became a nightclub. And Tina Turner and Ike had played there and some other really exceptional acts way back when. This is probably 1972. And so I go down to the bowling alley, and uh, Russell's standing out front, and he's a short guy like I am. And there are three rather hefty, larger fellows standing by his side, all three of them African-American guys who don't, like Russell, look like Barack Obama. They look more like really African guys than than that. And so I'm thinking, wow, I wonder who they are. And he leads, he says, come on up here, Archie. And I go up and he said, I'd like for you to meet Freddie King, Albert King, and B.B. King. They had all played together at the bowling alley in Memphis that night. Incredible. I've never talked to anyone who's had that experience before. That is really amazing. It was. And then they played singly, you know, separately, and then they played as a unit, all three of them mind-boggling and they all drank the same kind of bourbon because they had the same bloodshot eyes <laughs> oh i didn't know that was an indicator uh <laughs> oh yeah yeah remember jimmy reed <laughs> that's right <laughs> great story archie here i didn't mention but you you know you're obviously a blues aficionado and a great storyteller also a chairman of the central coast wine classic which is usually in san Luis obispo and it'll be coming to Santa Barbara in 2016. So I thought I'd just throw that in, let people know. Yeah, it'll be another... the last weekend in, in July. Okay. It's an interesting juxtaposition in some ways, the, the musical aspect of the things that I enjoy, because I, as I mentioned to you, the blues really gripped me. I've been the president of the board of the San Luis Obispo Mozart Festival a couple of times, and all kinds of music in between. My girlfriend at one point was a punk rock singer, so... I've covered a lot of ground with music. <laughs> well, you'd fit great right here at KCSB. You know, we're 24-7 and you know, all kinds of music and public affairs here. So you're always welcome back for sure. 
Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I could throw in an Albert King. I got Nina Simone from The King is Dead. Maybe we'll throw that in, see how you like that. Okay. You're listening to the Road Tune Sessions. Written for today, for this hour, for Dr. Martin Luther King. We stated before that the whole program is dedicated to his memory, but this tune is written about him and for him. So we had yesterday to learn it, and so we'll see. Once upon this planet Earth lived a man Preaching love and freedom for his fellow man. He was dreaming of the day peace would come to earth to stay. And he spread this message all across the land. Turn the other cheek, he'd plead. Love thy neighbor was his creed. Pain, humiliation, death, he did not dread. With his Bible at his side. From his foes he did not hide It's hard to think That this great man Is dead Oh yeah Well the murders Never cease Are they men or are they beasts? What do they ever hope Ever hope to gain Will my country too late for us all and did Martin Luther King just die in vain cause he seemed Always living with the threat of death ahead. Folks, you'd better stop and think, cause we're headed for the brink. What will happen now? That he is dead He was for equality For all people You and me Full of love and goodwill Hate was not his way Big 
tree that sealed his fate. We can all shed tears, but it won't change a thing. Teach your people, will they ever learn? Must you always kill with burn and burn with guns and kill with guns and burn? Don't you know how we got to react? Don't you know what it will bring? But he had seen the mountaintop. not stop. Always living with the threat of death ahead. Folks, you'd better stop and think. Everybody knows we're on the brink. Now that the king is dead, I'm gonna say he'd seen the mountaintop, and he knew he could not stop. Always living with a threat of. Death ahead. Folks, you'd better stop and think and feel again. Are we headed for the brain? What's gonna happen now in all of our cities? My people are right. That one moment that you know what life is. If you have to die, it's all right. 'Cause you know what life is. You know what freedom is for one moment of your life. What's gonna happen now that the king of It's really uh, rather amazing that B.B. King gave his uh, record collection to the University of Mississippi at Oxford, Mississippi. That was where all of the strife with James Meredith becoming the first African-American to be in that school, which actually continues into, the, into today. There's still major issues at that one place, and yet B.B. Uh, King, who was a sweetheart of a guy, uh, conferred his record collection on them. He was, as you made me aware, and I had totally forgotten, born in Itabana, Mississippi, near Mississippi State, uh, for that matter. Smack dab next to it, yeah. Yeah, right right in there. They'd, they'd never, it, he was never discussed back then. Uh, nobody ever seemed to bring up his name as being from that area. Or perhaps it just got past me somehow. I don't know how. Even though he was killing it uh, around the world. So, yeah, you know. he wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Uh, probably didn't go back to the reunions either. Well, we have, of course, Nina Simone there with uh, Why the King of Love is Dead. I played that from time to time. One is I just loved Nina Simone. All over the map, musically. You know, you have Mississippi Goddamn, 
just made a big impact and plus uh, a lot of her songs from Porgy and Bess and classic blues and jazz it's made a big impact on me years ago you had mentioned Ann Peebles oh yeah yeah when I left Mississippi uh, I ended up in New Orleans and then ultimately was hired by the publishing company I represented for 20 years and ended up working for them in uh, Nevada, California, Hawaii, Alaska, and then finally Singapore, Tokyo, Beijing, all kinds of places out in the Orient. Uh, The first place they had sent me was Memphis because they were having some issues there, and somehow or another I helped them solve those issues and gave myself... uh, some income for more or less the first time in my life that was above what a school teacher would make, which back then was was very little. It was kind of a challenging profession back then. Probably still is. I don't know. I had talked them into moving me to California where they were having problems and hadn't found anybody to help them solve those problems. And so they agreed to send me, and I had a home in Memphis at that point, and I put the home up for sale. And Ann Peebles bought it. And she bought it with the proceeds from I Just Can't Stand the Rain because that was the song that put her on the map. And then when Tina Turner ultimately did a cover of it, that I'm sure that helped Ann a lot more. And I went uh, directly to the Morro Bay area of California, and I was working sort of up and down the coast and then over to Nevada before I got into the... Alaska, Hawaii, and the Orient thing. And one day I looked at the schedule for the blues um, uh, club that they have in, in uh, San Luis Obispo, the Blues Society, and by God, Ann Peebles was coming to sing. And so I did go over and say hello to her before she went up on stage. And uh, when she sang that song, boy, you know, it brought back all kinds of amazing things from that time and at that time um, when I'd mentioned Russell Sugarman and the first interracial law firm and all of that and the FBI and the whole thing there was a rather humorous incident uh, because I invited the black studies program from from Memphis State at that time to use my home as a social place for them to come and relax and sit around and talk about sociology and philosophy and whatever happened to be on their minds and they would come by and one day I happened to look out the the front window and there were two unmarked cars out on the street in front of the house and they were and I had friends at the FBI and they said that they had been told I didn't go out and, and do this I talked to them later they had been told to keep an eye on the place because there was a group of African-Americans there with a group of Caucasians. I mean, Hoover was stunning in his bizarreness in that regard. But uh, anyway, that was an unusual scene. The music we played there was really great, though, and we had a great time relaxing and talking and laughing about various and sundry things. I miss that. Terrific. Uh, Once again, you're uh, listening to the Road Tune Sessions, and we're having a chat here in a musical um, mystery train with Archie McLaren. I got Can't Stand the Rain lined up. You want to? You bet. We could, let's I'd throw that in. Ann Peebles, personal friend of Archie McLaren. I can't stand the rain against my window Bringing back sweet memories Yeah, when the rain Just once. 
Hey, we had to um... oh, hang on a sec. We... Oh no! Yeah, that's the Blues Brothers um, version of Howlin' My Darling. Let's go for it. Okay. goodness throw that in yeah howlin my darling howlin wolf posing figure musically as well as in person yeah i i recalled uh, when i heard that uh, a conversation that i overheard my mother and some of her female friends having about uh, black music african-american music and i think they were even intimidated to a certain extent by nat king cole who was a big a strapping big attractive guy and for some reason they had a problem with that uh, I have no clue how much worse it could have gotten until I uh, remember having a date one time and taking a, a Johnny Mathis album as a gift for Christmas and her father pulling it out of the album and snapping it in half in front of me things like that were going on in Memphis that the uh, feminine part of the city was intimidated uh, for some reason by african-american males they felt threatened by them and they weren't uh, but they felt it and it was very 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 unfortunate helen for my darling in particular you had brought that up earlier so that's why i wanted to get yeah playing I mean, well if they had actually <laughs> been in the presence of helen wolf and heard him sing it they mm -hmm. would have been totally freaked out okay. apparently <laughs> My goodness. Well, we have minutes to go. You are listening to KCSB, and we're here 24-7, and we're um, volunteer radio. Been around here for 50 years, and uh, saying it loud, as they say, and we're proud. Archie McLaren here. Really thank you for sitting in with us. We still have a few minutes. So what do we want to leave this show with? What well, do you want to imprint on upon us? Did we ever get James Brown's song on here? I don't remember. Uh, we did say it, say it loud. I got that one. 
We played that right after Soul Man. Yeah. It's amazing at my age that the, the things that go away so quickly. <laughs> yeah, I forget too. He oh. was amazing. I saw yeah. him in Memphis a long, 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 yeah. long time ago. It was quite special. You know, one of the things that David Porter mentioned to me was that at the time that he and Isaac went with Stax, that Motown was really taking off in its popularity, but they felt that the music needed to be more rhythmic, exerting more power rather than the mellowness that Motown was manifesting. You don't happen to have knock on wood, do you? I may. What I do have, I actually found one with Isaac Hayes and David Porter really? together doing Ain't That Loving You. Isaac Hang uh, sings for lovers. <laughs> this is the album <laughs> I pulled it off of. This is the one they both penned. I just thought I'd throw it in just to give it a try. Why not? And while it's playing, see if you can find Knock on Wood. And that'll okay. give you the Stax rhythmic thing that you one of the greatest rhythmic songs ever written. You think I love you for just one thing Do you my love this may be the way that it seems an interesting one. Here it is, Knock on Wood, Eddie Floyd. This is a David Porter and Isaac Hayes yeah, tune. Yeah, this is a special one. Thanks to Archie McLaren for coming in and sitting in with us at KCSB here studios on the Road Tune Sessions. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for the call. Be kind and take care. If you got-